Bibles, please, and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read verses 3 through 8 of Romans 12. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let, it, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, that he, showeth, that he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We do thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, we do thank you that we have the privilege of being able to come together around your word. And we pray today that you administer to us through your word. Uh, Lord, uh, just give us clarity of uh, understanding and may our hearts receive your word with thanksgiving. Give me wisdom, Father God, as I share your word. And may uh, this, your word, come alive to us today. May the spirit of God make it uh, understandable to us, and may we receive from you that which you would have for us, that we might give you all the praise and all the glory. Blessed now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Having established here in Romans chapter 12 our duty as believers to God in verses 1 and 2, Paul now goes on to tell the Romans of our duty as believers towards the body of Christ in Romans chapter 12 verses 3 through 16. And here Paul addresses our relationship to each other. Paul was speaking to and about believers in Romans 12. And so all the exhortations in this passage relate primarily in the context of the local church. Now he is going to talk to individuals, but it's individuals within the local church. And in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, the passage we just read, the Lord calls on us to do right towards the body of Christ, to do right towards the body of Christ. And an outline for Romans 12, 3 through 8, according to Pastor Mitchell at least, might be the right attitude, the right awareness, and the right application. And I want to borrow his outline this afternoon because I couldn't come up with a better one than he came up with. We're going to look at the right attitude, the right awareness, and the right application in these verses. And uh, firstly then, if we're going to have the right... Uh, do right, rather, towards the body of Christ, then we need the right attitude. Verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. What he calls upon you and I here to do is to have a, an honest evaluation of ourselves. To look at ourselves and be honest about that evaluation of ourselves. And here in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul says the basis 
of what he's about to say is the grace that was given unto him. Notice what he says at the beginning of the verse. For I say, through the grace given unto me. Paul is here using himself as an example of what he's about to say. He's using himself as a, as a tool by which we might learn the applications that he's about to give us. He's going to say something about the faith. He's going to say something about the grace. He's going to say something about the gifts of God that God has given to the members of the local church. And here he tells us that he was depending, he himself, the Apostle Paul, was depending upon the grace of God. He says, I say unto you, through the grace given unto me, he's depending upon that grace, that gift of grace that God's given to him to now be an effective minister to them. In order for him to minister to the Romans, in order for him to minister to you and I, he wants, he's saying, I'm using the grace, the gift of grace that God has given me to be that blessing to you. And that sets the context, if you like, for the subject matter of Romans 12, 3 throughout. He tells them who he's speaking to in this passage. He says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. So he's writing to everyone in the church. Now we understand when he talks about men in this kind of context, he's talking about men and women. Okay, So he's talking to all of us in this context. He's talking to every one of us. He wasn't so much talking about the group as a whole, but he is talking to individual members of the church. So the local church is the focus, but he is now focusing in on individuals within that body, within the local church, within this local church. He is focusing in on us as individuals. And he says to us that we're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Notice, for I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. We're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. This is the beginning of having a right attitude towards the body of Christ. One commentator put it this way in short words. He said, God's house is no place for spiritual big heads. As individuals, we are important to God, but none of us are more important than the other person. Okay? We're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Each one of us must have an honest evaluation of ourselves. That's why he goes on to say this, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. We're to think soberly. Now, the word soberly here means modestly, rationally, objectively. We're to have a right attitude. You know, none of us can walk around the church with our chest puffed out and our fingers in our braces and, you know, walk stuck around as though somehow we are the leading peacock, if you like, of the place, as, uh, you know, that we are somehow the, the grand uh, daddy of it all, you know, that we're more important than anybody else. We're not. We have to have an honest evaluation of ourselves, and that is that we are what we are by the grace of God, aren't we? If it wasn't for God's grace, we wouldn't be what we are. If it wasn't for God's grace, we wouldn't even be saved. We are what we are by the grace of God. Pastor Mitchell said this, he said, When a person thinks he is someone or something he is not, he creates friction, he causes frustrations. For his part, 
He cannot be effective in any ministry and hence will live in either oblivion to his own faults and get everyone offside or he will feel defeated constantly. You know, when we have a wrong attitude about who we are, it has an impact upon others and has an impact upon ourselves. And the Apostle John saw this at work in the local church. Noticed in John, 3 John, if you would please, 3 John. John and verse 9. Apostle John says, I wrote unto the church, but the artifice who love to have the preeminence among them receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church, beloved, Follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, and he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Geographies was a great example of what Paul is telling us not to be in Romans 12. Geographies thought himself to more highly than he ought to think. And in so doing, he caused a great deal of headache and a great deal, great deal of heartache for the body of Christ. He was prating himself about pretending he was something he was not, and he was causing strife within the body of Christ. He had the wrong attitude. And the challenge here in Romans 12 and verses 3 to 8 to you and I is that you and I are to have a right attitude. And having a right attitude involves knowing what our gift is, what our gifts are, and knowing what our abilities are, and knowing them soberly, which includes a degree of humility. So that you and I might have a right attitude to our place within the body of Christ. We're not to, we are to think of ourselves according as God hath given us the measure of faith. Look at the end of the verse. He says, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than the ought, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Think of ourselves according to the measure of faith. You know, God has given to every one of us, every born-again believer in this local body, God has given to every one of us a measure of faith. And the measure of faith here is referring to God's gifts that he gives to believers. Every believer has at least one gift given by God at salvation. When we receive the indwelling Holy Spirit with that empowering we receive a spiritual gift. And the measure of faith is more than just the gift of faith itself in this context. Because as we go on to read in Romans chapter 12, and we read the application of what the Apostle Paul is telling us here, it involves the gifts of prophecy, teaching, ministering, giving, etc. Look in verse uh, 7. Uh, it says of ministry, let us wait on ministering, or teacheth on teaching, and so on. So we know the measure of faith that's mentioned here in Romans 12 is talking about the gifts of God. The measure of faith is referring to the spiritual gift that every believer is given. And it's a measure because not everyone is given the same proportion of that gift. 
You and I don't receive, every one of us don't receive the same proportion even of the gift that we're given. Pastor Mitchell said this, two may have the same gift, but one has a greater measure of that gift which will be in proportion to the call God has given to the individual. Verse 6 makes this clear. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. According to the proportion of faith. It's interesting here in verse 6 that grace is substituted for faith. He says, having then the gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. And the reason why faith and grace are used interchangeably here is because they are mutually inclusive. God in his grace has given to us gifts. But without faith, you and I cannot use those gifts. So God in his grace gave to every born-again believer a gift of grace at the point of salvation. And it's by faith that we use that gift to the glory of God. That we allow God to use us, we trust and we believe in him. We allow him to use us for his glory. I note again it's a measure of gift that's given. Because it says in verse 6, at the end of the verse there, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith. According to the proportion of faith, some are given a greater and some a lesser portion of some gift. Now, some people are be given a gift and another person the same gift, but when you look at them, it seems like one of those people has a greater proportion of that gift. They have a, a greater capacity to function in that gift. Well, that's according to God's will for their lives. Based upon Romans 12.3, we see that God has given, divided out the measure of faith to every man. Notice what it says there at the end of the verse. It says, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. That's to all. Every believer has a measure or a specific portion of the gift of faith. Every one of us. There is not a believer here today, young or old, that does not have a spiritual gift if you're saved. Every one of us have been given of God a spiritual gift. And every believer has a spiritual gift so that God might enable us to fulfill a certain role or a ministry within the body of Christ. See, God ordained the local church and then he, he, he assembled a group of gifted believers together in that local church for the purpose of the church functioning according to God's glory, being able to achieve what God has in store for us. And each member of that body is asked, called upon to use its gift, their gift, to the glory of God in that body. This is illustrated for us in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And commence to read in verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Okay, so every one of us have been given according to grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. For now, he ascended, now that he ascended, what is it 
but he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fulfill all things. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, on a perfect man, under the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Every one of us have received a measure of faith. Every one of us have been given a gift of the Lord. He gave gifts unto men. And in this case in Ephesians, he illustrates it by the gifts he gave unto the gifted men who were the leaders of the church. The apostles, the prophets, the, the uh, uh, pastors and teachers, the evangelists, I missed one. Uh, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, given to the local church. Gifted men for the work of the ministry to affect the saints that they might in turn do the ministry. But God gifted all of us for his glory. We all have a gift. And we do not all have the same measure of that gift or the same measure of gifts. But we all have a gift. One commentator said this, this could be one reason why we see differences in size of the size of people's ministries. Certainly it relates to the differences in people's ability to take responsibility in the house of God. You know, why is it that some ministries, some people in ministries seem to have large ministries, some seem to have smaller ministries? Well, the reason is because God has given them a proportion of faith, a measure of faith, enabling them to do the task that God's called them to do. If God's called somebody to do this task and, 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 and that means that the ministry is this size, then they ought to do that to the glory of God and no one should be criticizing them for that ministry. But if somebody over here is doing the gift of, using the gift of God and their ministry is this large, likewise they have been blessed of God because God gave them the measure of faith they needed to accomplish that role. And that's a great comfort to know, by the way. When you're in the ministry, it's a great thing to know. That God's given you a measure of faith. He's given you a measure of the gift. And he gave you proportionately in design for the ministry he has for you to do. Why is it that some people can go to the mission field and suffer great anguish and, and things? And you can look at them and you think to yourself, I could never do that. Well, they've been given a measure of faith. They have the gift of God to accomplish that. Why is it that God uses people in different ways? It's because God has determined when he gave us the gift, he gave us the proportion of that gift that we need to do his will in the place where he has placed us for his glory. What we all need is a right attitude to our gifts, which is not to overestimate our gifts or the measure of those gifts, but to use them for God's glory. Another commentator said this, if we have a great gift, it will take effect without our having to be proud. On the other hand, having the right attitude will allow God to have his way through the measure of the gifts he supplies without putting unrealistic expectations on ourselves. 
You know, if, if God has given to you a great proportion of faith, then it will be evidence as you exercise that gift to the glory of God for all to see, and you won't need to be proud about it because God will just do it. By the same token, if God has given you a smaller measure of faith, there's no reason to be discouraged when you don't have the grandeur of someone who has a great measure of that faith. Now, why is it could the Charles Adam Spurge of this world have a church of, you know, 10,000 people type tenuous church, and, and yet others have churches, you know, of 50, 60, 70 people? Is the failure in the one serving God? Well, not necessarily. It may well just be that Spurgeon had a greater measure of faith than the other person had. And when they get to glory, they will be equally rewarded for their faithfulness to the use of their gift. I don't know about you, but that's a great encouragement. See, we don't have to worry about how big our ministry is. We simply have to worry about being faithful to use the gift that God's given us in that ministry. Because that's all God requires of us. That's all God asks of us. It's to be faithful to him. Another aspect of the right attitude to, is to realize that since God has given us gifts, we cannot take credit for them. You know, if God has given us a gift, let's not get puffed up because we can do something that someone else cannot do. Because God's the one who gives the gift. He's the one who gives the measure of faith. We need to use the gifts of grace humbly before God. So make sure that we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. It's been said that if we want to know how important we are, put your finger in a glass of water, then take it out. Now see how much of a hole you've made. And that's true with the things of God. You know, it doesn't really matter who we are. What matters is that we use God's grace, the gift of grace for his glory. No one is more important than someone else in the body of Christ. We need to evaluate ourselves honestly, recognizing that without Christ we can do nothing, but with Christ we can do all things. Isn't that what Philippians 4.13 says? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.10, please. 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. That's how we function. By the grace of God. No one within the body of Christ is Mr. Big. All have a gift, and every gift is important, and God just wants to use it for his glory. If we're going to do right towards the body of Christ, we need firstly the right attitude, and secondly we need the right awareness. Look at verses 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we be many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Now the key to what Paul is saying here is Romans 12 verse 4, for we have 
For as we have many members in one body, we're all members, and all members have not the same office. There should be unity in the local church because it's one body. But there also should be diversity within the local church because there's many members. What Paul points out in this passage is logical. Because what he wants to understand, and verse 5 makes it clear, so we be many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. So he's using the illustration of the body to illustrate what the church looks like. You and I have one body. We don't have two bodies, we have one body. But this one body is made up of many members. We have hands, we have ears, we have a nose, we have eyes, we have a mouth. We have legs. We're made up of many members. We have a heart. We have lungs. We have kidneys. We're made up of many members. We are one body, but many members. And so he uses the word office here in verse 4. He says, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. The word office here means function or operation. We're different from each other because each and every one of us has different gifts and have different measures of a gift so many in this body may have a similar gift but the measure of that gift may be different because that's what God does and he wants you to understand that even though we are different members and we all have different offices within that membership of that body he wants to understand that we are of the same team. We're members of a team. Verse 5. So be many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. We are one body in Christ and every one of us are members one of another. We're on the same team. I said Paul uses the illustrator of the body for our body is only one when it's whole. You know, our body is not a body when it's individual pieces. If we were to take you out now and cut you up into individual pieces, you would not be a body. You would be individual pieces. You would be an arm. You'd be a hand. You'd be a foot. You'd be a head. But you wouldn't be a body. What makes the body is the collective nature of this body. We're members of the same team in God's eyes this body, this local church, is one body. And Paul says, as members of that one body, we are members one of another. We're a team. God has chosen this team to do his bidding. No one can say, I don't need you within the body because each member of the body needs the other member of the body. Paul explains this more fully in 1 Corinthians 12. Turn there with me, you would, please. 1 Corinthians 12. And verse 12. He says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one body. For the body is not one member, but many. 
If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing? If the whole hearing, where were the smelling? But now God hath set the members, every one of them, in the body as it pleased him. We're all members of the body. You can read down to verse 27. She goes on in the context. He says in verse 27, he says, Now we are the body of Christ and members in particular. We are one body, but we are individual members of that body. Some of us are hands, some of us are feet, some of us are eyes, some of us are ears. In fact, Paul says in First Corinthians, some of us are the more comely parts. We are the kidneys and the liver and the heart, things you can't see. But every member of our body is important to us just as much as every member of this body is important to God. To do anything for God. Therefore, we have to work together as a team. Now, remember the context in which he's speaking here. He's speaking in the context of the will of God. Remember verses 1 2? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing mind, that you may prove us a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, if you and I are going to live according to the will of God, that perfect and acceptable and that good will of God, as believers, then we need to function as members of this body to the glory of God, members of his team. Somebody said in the local church, we're all part of a team, and no matter what part we play, great or small, it is the team that matters. You'd be aware that we're not of ourselves individuals as far as the church is concerned. We're part of a body. You know, when one part of the body is not functioning properly, the body suffers. When one part of the body is sick, the body suffers. The same is true for the church. When the body is not functioning properly because somebody is sick or somebody is unable or somebody is unwilling, then the body suffers because we're all members of that body. God has gifted you with a spiritual gift of grace that he wants you to exercise by faith within this local body for his glory. We are members one of another, fitly joined together. Go to Colossians chapter 2, please. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 19. And not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increased with the increase of God. We are knit together as believers. Look in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21, please. Ephesians 2, 21. It says, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. 
We need to use our gifts not to build up ourselves, but in order that the body of Christ might fulfill its function as a church to God's glory. Somebody said, no individual believer can function effectively alone. And if we're to accomplish anything for God, then we need to work together as a team. Look in Acts chapter 4, please. Acts 4.32. Acts 4.32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which, had, uh, which he had uh, purposed was his own, uh, possessed rather, which was his own, but they all had all things common. This is the beginning of the verse. It says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. We're to work together as a team. So we have the right attitude, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We have the right awareness that we're all members of one body, and all that leaves is the right application, which is verses 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that soweth mercy, showeth mercy with cheerfulness. The message here is simple. If God has given you a gift, and he has, then we're to use it for his glory. And Romans 12.6 starts out by saying that he's given the gifts according to the grace that is given us, and whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the portion of faith. If prophecy, which of course is speaking of modern day preaching, if that's your gift, then use it to the proportion that God has dealt it to you. So whatever proportion of the gift of preaching God's given to you, use that proportion of gift to God's glory. Now some people are gifted and they will end up being pastors and they are preachers that way because that's what God's given them to do, but Others will be given the gift of preaching, this gift of prophecy, to use it to teach and preach to others. They may not be the pastor, but they'll be able to use it for God's glory. It's what God intends, use it according to the portion which we're given. And then in verses 7 through 8, we've explained to us the message is the same, whatever gift you have. Now Paul isn't here trying to list every gift that God has given to believers but rather, what he wants to do is he wants to exhort you and I to use the gifts that we've been given. So he's using illustrations of gifts to challenge you and I, whatever gift we have, to use it for God's glory. Whatever gift we have, whatever portion of that gift's been given to us, use that for his glory. So he goes on and says, Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Ministry here is the Greek word diakonos meaning servant or serving. It could suggest that, this, that those who hold the office of deacon can best serve as a deacon if they have this gift, the gift of ministry, that they're servants at heart. You know, we often talk about when we elect a deacon, what you have to find is men who are already deacon, already serving, already doing the role before we appoint them to position. That's... The reason, because here 
If they have this gift of ministry, let them wait on ministry and let them demonstrate it. Then he goes on and says, teaching, on teaching. This could be used by men in the pulpit or men and women in the Sunday school or writing of books or literature or in a one-on-one situation, but those have the gift to be able to impart truth to teach others. Exhortation is the next one. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation, a gift that encourages people, that gets beside a person and gives them a lift by their encouragement. It's also a blessing in the pulpit. Those who are in the pulpit are being given uh, a gift, not only the gift of preaching, but usually are given the gift of exhortation to be an encourager from the pulpit. Then giving, he says there in verse 8, he says, Or he that exhorteth an exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Someone has been, who has been given the gift of giving, the divine enabling of God to give, Paul says to them that if they're going to give, let them do it with simplicity. The word simplicity there means sincerely, purely. They give it with not, not for advantage. They give with no strings attached. If you have the gift of giving, you give it without the strings attached. You give with sincerity. You give expecting nothing in return. And he talks about the one who ruleth in verse 8. He that ruleth with diligence. The word ruling here means to stand before. They are exhorted to do so with diligence. That's with earnest application. You know, it's easy for leaders to become discouraged, to feel like giving up. But the challenge here is for those who are given the gift of leadership to stand before others must persevere. If they will please God by their leadership... They have to endure the hardness, the difficult times, as well as the good. Then he talks about mercy. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. When mercy means to show compassion. A spiritual enabling for some and needs to be exercised with cheerfulness. The person showing mercy must not begrudge the mercy they show. They to do it with cheerfulness. They to do it with a smile on their face. When they're showing compassion to others, they do it happily. It's not an exhaustive list. But the point here is clear. That if you're saved, then you'll have a gift. And we are to use it for the common good as part of the team. And of course, if a person has not applied Romans 12, 1 and 2 then I'll never be able to apply the principles of Romans 12, 3 through 8. If you've not presented your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is reasonable service, and if you're not being transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you might prove, you might scrutinize what is the will of God, what is the good and the acceptable and perfect will of God, then you will never ever be able to apply Romans 12, 3 through 8. But for those of us who are committed to serving God, those of us who have surrendered our all to the Lord, we need to understand that God's given us gifts to enable us to fulfill His will. And the challenge to you and I is, are we using our gifts for His glory? God's gifted every one of us 
Are we using them for his glory? Are we working as part of the team for his glory? Well, we ought to be. And if we are surrendered to him, we'll be presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God. The next step will be that you and I will want to function as a team using our gifts for his glory. The Carpenter's Tools had a conference. Brother Hammer was in the chair. The meeting had informed him that he must leave because he was too noisy. But he said, if I am to leave the chair of the carpenter's shop, Brother Gimlet must go too. He is so small and insignificant. Who needs a tool that makes a hole anyway? Little Brother Gilmot rose and said, all right, but Brother Screw must go also. You have to turn him round and around to get him anywhere. Brother Screw said, if you wish, I will go, but Brother Plain must leave also, for all his work is on the surface. There is no depth to it. To this Brother Plain replied, well, Brother Rule, will also have to withdraw, if I do, for he is always measuring folks as though he were the only one who is right. Brother Rule then complained against Brother Sandpaper and said, I just don't care. He is rougher than he ought to be and always rubbing people the wrong way. During their discussion, the carpenter walked in. He had come to make a pulpit from which he could preach the gospel. He employed the screw, the gimlet, the sandpaper, the saw, the hammer, the plane, and all the other tools. After the work was over and the pulpit was finished, Brother Saw arose and said, Brethren, I perceive that all of us are laborers together with God. And beloved, that's true. We're all laborers together with God. Let's not think more highly of ourselves than we ought, but work together as part of God's team for God's glory, as God has ordained that we should do. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this afternoon. We thank you for the challenge. That as believers, we are members of your body, members of the body of Christ and members of this local body. Help us, Father God, to fulfill our role, to do our part, to be faithful in serving you, Father God, that you might receive all the praise and all the glory so that we as a body might function according to your will and that each and every one of us individuals might bring glory to you by fulfilling our role. Bless us now, we pray as we close. Commend your word to us, we pray in Jesus' name.